Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I am thrilled to be here with Nejwa Zambian. Zabian. Zabian. Yes. Oh, I was so okay. close. It's and we're okay. here at the streaming at CF Studio here at the Toronto Eaton Centre. And Najwa, I'm just going to give people a little bit of context for you. You're the best-selling author of three books, Mind Platter, The Nectar of Pain, and Sparks the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. As a speaker and an activist, Najwa has gained a healthy following on social media because like a million followers on Instagram, and has caught the attention of such outlets as the New York Times. Nejwa's message to build a home within themselves, for all of us to build a home within ourselves, to live, love, and create fearlessly, has been a source of inspiration to millions. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today, Nejwa. Thank you for having me. So there is so much about your work and your story that I hope people discover, but today, we're really focusing on a very personal choice you made mm -hmm. recently, mm -hmm. earlier this year, to, to stop wearing the hijab. Mm -hmm. So before we delve into that, and we're gonna talk about fashion and culture and how these things intertwine, for people who maybe aren't familiar with what exactly the hijab is, can you just give us a little bit of, of context and description about what that yeah. is exactly? So it's the Islamic dress of covering your hair and your whole body, except your hands and your face. Um, so I used to cover everything except for my hands and my face and my feet sometimes but um i don't know if i'm getting too close but it's okay uh yeah so that's what it is and there are many women around the world who choose to dress that way and um, i started wearing it when i was in grade seven so i was very young i was in lebanon at the time i was um, at an islamic school and it was just very normal to wear it like no one would question a decision like that because most women in my area wore it and you immigrated to Canada when you were 16 mm -hmm. can you share how you came from you know immigrant to Canada to this decision what mm -hmm. was part of the journey that led you to this to this personal choice yeah so since the moment I was born, actually I'm the only one in my family born in Lebanon. All of my siblings were born here. So I was a Canadian citizen like two weeks after I was born. I think my mom applied for that right away. But the decision to, for me to stay in Lebanon was my parents' decision so that I would learn Arabic, so that I would learn more about the, the culture and the language there. And when I came here, I remember specifically regarding the hijab, I remember not even being aware that I looked different because where I was in Lebanon, that was such a, like I said, a normal quote unquote thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I came here, it didn't even occur to me that I looked different. I was more concerned with the fact that now I had to speak English all the time, where in Lebanon, I used to speak Arabic all the time. And the I mean, the first day of school, it was my first day of grade 12, um, I remember a teacher of mine welcomed me at the door and took me to a group of students who looked Middle Eastern. And she introduced me to them. And I remember after like 20 minutes around them thinking to myself, they're not like me because I obviously came from a completely different culture just because they were 
Lebanese and Syrian. It didn't mean that we shared the same traditions mm -hmm. because they'd been living here for so long and I just came from another country. But that was, I would say, the first instance looking back of someone treating me differently because of the way I looked or making assumptions about me. But the very first time that I got treated badly was when I was 19 years old and I was on the bus to university. I remember I was wearing a long jean skirt and a white shirt with pink and blue flowers on it. And this older man, I remember him vividly. He had tattoos all over his body. He was wearing a black t-shirt and he kept staring at me the whole time. And as soon as it came time for him to get off the bus, the door opened. He looked at me and said, you know, you're in Canada. You don't have to dress like that. I was wearing mm -hmm. a white hijab that day. And I remember looking down and bawling my eyes out. And the woman in front of me turned around and said, I'm so sorry, he shouldn't have spoken to you that way. That was the first time that someone treated me really negatively based on the way I looked. And that's when it hit me. Oh, I get it now. I get why I treated differently. It's because of the way I look. It's not because of anything else. Well, and the way you dress specifically, yes. like, yep, yes. you know, you know, really drilling it down. The yeah. way you dress is what people were reacting yes. to. Yeah, the fact that I covered. Mm -hmm. And so what happened after that? Where did you, you know, you're in university. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about how you came to your choice to uncover. And that's the official mm -hmm. term, is it? Uncover or yes. unveiling? unveiling, yeah. So I was 19 when that story happened. I'm now 29. And I took okay. it off about a year ago, exactly, actually. Um, so since that day, I remember asking myself, why do you wear this? Like... That's because when I was young, I wore it to look like my older sister. I wore it because that's, you know, you were considered a quote unquote good girl to follow these kinds of rules. Like that was the next step to do to, to show that you are, you know, obedient and that you are faithful. And it was a, a, a next level of faith. And so I, I remember asking myself that day, why, why do you wear it? Like, do you still stick to that reason? And do you really believe that every woman should wear this? And I, I didn't believe that every woman should wear this, but I wasn't ready to let go of something that was part of my identity for so long. Like in grade seven, I was so young. I think I was 11 or 12 years old. And for me to, to hold something so, it's like a safety blanket. Mm -hmm. And plus, I'm, I've always been a very reflective person. I told myself, if you choose to take this off simply because you don't want people to judge you, then you are weak. But if you choose to wake up every morning and say, I am choosing to wear this, knowing that if I were to take it off, it would spare me a lot of pain and a lot of heartache, but I'm going to wear it because this is part of my identity. And I chose courage and I chose strength. And I would say that choosing to wear it for as long as I did really did make me a stronger person because I wasn't going to submit to the way that society wanted me to look. And then for me to get to a point where I decided to take it off, I remember this day very clearly because once I started realizing that my name would be written down in history because I saw that my work was all over, I started imagining in a hundred years, if there's a biography about me, what would it look like? And I saw, you know, you see a picture and then your name underneath it. And then Nejwa Zabian is, was this person and this is what she did. I didn't see myself covered in the picture. And that 
hit me so hard because I, I, I was like, I am projecting an image out into the world that is not actually me. Like I am to a certain extent caging myself in something that I, just because I looked this way for so long, even though I know now that this is not how I see myself, I'm sticking to it because that's how I've been for so long. So I knew that I needed to start making that transition. Can you share a little bit about what was going on in your life professionally leading up mm -hmm. to this? Because you mentioned, you know, you'd already written, I think, two or th all three of your books by then. Um, were you speaking? You'd already become quite well known. Where were you at in your professional world when you when you decided to make this choice? Yeah, so I had been teaching for about uh, five or six years at that time, and I just had just gone on leave because of an issue that happened at work that I just couldn't stay anymore. I felt silenced in a way, and I felt like my voice wasn't being heard, and I just made that decision to walk away for a little bit. And I, I would say that was the period of my life during those few months where I wasn't working and I was more focused on my writing and where that career was taking me, that I really reflected on all of the layers, not just physically, all of the layers of myself that I needed to let go of. And some of those layers were you know, me being a, a person who wanted to be a people pleaser, who wanted to be on everybody's good side, who was so afraid of raising her voice and saying I was hurt in some way. Um, I had to just, it's kind of like a breakthrough to say, I'm no longer hiding who I am. And taking the hijab off was part of that, but it wasn't the only thing that happened. It was part of me as a woman finding myself and and being brave enough to say I, I don't care if you don't see me the way you saw me before I don't care if you have a problem with me I would rather be myself authentically and have fewer people in my life than not be myself and have more people around me so that's what was happening around that time a lot of turmoil but a lot of finding myself. Well, and clearly this was not a choice you came to lightly. Like I no. hear the the contemplation <laughs> and and the reflection and and I what I hear you saying is that there was this the you know, the hijab represented um your culture and an mm -hmm. identity that perhaps was not resonating with you anymore. So it was a very powerful symbol mm. of of not just an article of clothing, but of a whole cultural identity that you yeah. were ready to to move forward from. What was the reaction when you decided <laughs> to do this? Uh, it was mostly a negative reaction, to be honest with you, because I feel that people got to know me looking a certain way and they felt a sense of betrayal in a way, like I represented them in a way. Um, and, and, and is this like your immediate family, your friends, your the Twitterverse, like was it coming yeah, from Yeah, so sides? I would say my, for my family, the biggest concern was they knew that I was going through a lot of turmoil work-wise and to them, they worried that they didn't understand where this decision came from. So they expressed that it came more out of we just want to make sure that this is not just something that you're going through just because you know you're you're depressed or we want to make sure that this is a decision you're making because you're actually convinced so all it took is for me to sit and have a conversation with them 
and that was good. But in terms of the public reaction, um, it was a lot worse and I would say that's because when people don't know you on a personal level, it's much easier for them to attack you. Um, on my Instagram, for example, I think I lost about 30,000 followers in one day. And I personally prepared myself for much more than that. Um, that's what I was willing to lose to actually be myself. Because I tell people in my first book, Mind Platter, it's all about staying true to yourself. It's all about being your most authentic self and not changing or conforming to what people want you to be. And so to live up to my own words, I had to do it. Um, and I, I still to this day, like literally two days ago, I posted a poem about women and I've had to block and ban many people who are in different countries of the world and also who live in my own city, who've, who knew me and had conversations with me at, at some point who were attacking me for it. So it's been, it's been over a year, a little bit over a year and it's, the negativity is still seeping into this day. I can only imagine how how challenging it must be to to be getting that that energy and that response mm -hmm. from from strangers because you're doing something to be true to yourself mm -hmm. and it's being questioned mm -hmm. and 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 attacked. What does that tell you about the relationship between between fashion and culture and identity and and I think and and women in particular? How are you making sense of how all of those things fit together? <laughs> so to me, the problem never was with the hijab. I think when people look at me and see that I've uncovered, they think that that means I'm anti-hijab. I'm not. I'm not anti-anything. I'm pro-women choosing how they want to dress. I'm pro-women choosing what strength means to them. If a woman wants to cover, that's her choice. Like I was, I always say I was free then and I am free now. I was free then because that was my choice and I'm free now because that's my choice. I wasn't oppressed because I was covered. I was oppressed by the people who looked at me and said, because you're covered, you must be oppressed or don't dress that way because you live in Canada. That was oppression. It wasn't my choice. But now when I've made this decision to uncover anybody telling me that this means that I've become an object, I say, you are actually looking at me as an object because to you, I don't re deserve respect unless I'm covered. As a human being, you don't believe that I deserve respect unless I cover my body. So how do you view all the other women out there? And then I get the response of, but you used to cover. And then I say, you know what? We make a lot of decisions in life that we go back on. People get married and then decide this is not working yeah. out. You know, you choose a certain makeup look or a certain hair color and you say, I don't want this anymore. You have the right to change your mind. And it doesn't really mean anything about your core as a person. And about your worth and yeah. about your, your, your strength. Absolutely. And then in terms of fashion, I've always been into fashion. Anyone who knows me, when I look at older pictures of myself, I've always loved fashion. And now... I just feel like before I used to always say, you know, I need clothes that would cover us to a certain length and I would have to wear something underneath a dress or underneath whatever I was wearing to make sure that I was fully covered. But now I just feel like I have more, um, I have more autonomy over what I choose to wear because 
it's it's no longer about those constraints that I placed on myself. It's more about do I like this? Does it look good on me? And do I feel good in it? And I can I can wear it then. And I know I have many of my friends who still cover and they wear their clothes beautifully. They choose their fashion choices are are gorgeous and I you know I I salute them for living in a time when it's actually difficult to find clothes that cover you fully but for me personally I see like I was telling you this the other day when I wake up in the morning and say I'm gonna wear this because I choose to wear it just like before when I was covered and that man made that comment and I would wake up in the morning and say this makes me strong because I'm choosing it despite that hatred it's the same thing now I say I want to wear this and I know I'm going to get a lot of hate, but I, I know I will feel good in this because this is something I chose. This is something I chose for myself. And so for me, it feels like fashion has always been when I was covered and when I'm, when I'm not now, it's always been an empowering thing for me, right? Because I get to choose it. Yeah. And that's part of, I think the joy anyone has hopefully yeah. getting dressed in the morning is having the the understanding that they are choosing what they are putting on and mm -hmm. therefore it is a tool of confidence and strength for them it's as the they go out into the world the the, the the kernel of it all mm -hmm. is choice yes what did you learn about yourself <laughs> I mean, this must have been such a powerful experience. And I mean, you talked about having to deal with the criticisms, but there must have been encouragement mixed in there yes. as well. Yeah. I think anyone who knew me as a person, I got many messages saying, you know, I'm proud of you for moving forward with this decision, knowing how sensitive you are and knowing that people have been terrible towards you, but that you stuck to your decision. There was quite a bit of positivity as well. Um, like I, I remember one of the first people who um, I, I felt like overwhelmed with their love was my oldest sister who said, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you for making this decision because I, I know if you made this decision, then you know it's right for you. And um, reflecting back on those, all of those people who gave me positive um, feedback, I, I'm just so happy that there are still people out there who can you know, separate their own personal beliefs from someone else's decision. Because right now, what I'm going through is people projecting their own beliefs on me and saying, if you're not this way, then, you know, you're going to hell. Or if you're not this way, then I won't respect you. Or what's next? Or, you know, you've sold out to the money and to the fame. Like, they're just not looking at me as a human being. Which is judgment, again, based on dress. Yes. Not anything, anything else. Not anything else at all. And so you asked me, what did I learn about myself? I would say the biggest thing I learned about myself is how, uh, how strong I am. Because I, I never felt that before. I never knew that I could be this strong, knowing how many people were walking away from my life just because I chose to move towards my most authentic self. I used to, you know, take people's words very heavily and just I didn't want anyone to be upset. And there was always that fear of, you know, what's my reputation going to be like? Because whether we like it or not, that's the culture I grew up in. And it doesn't mean anything negative about my family or about anyone around me. But 
the culture I grew up in, and you know, I went to an Islamic school. Um, there's a lot of, you know, this is the only way for you to be shame-free. We use that word a lot, shame, shame, shame. So I kind of broke out of that and I learned about myself that I can be okay without someone else defining for me what is okay and what's not okay or what makes me a person who is full of shame or not full of shame. To me, shame is not something that I have anymore because Shame means that I feel that something is wrong with me, but I don't feel that. Whereas people's words that are targeted at me in a negative way are aimed to make me feel that something is wrong with me. Like people will leave comments saying, we know Nejwa has mental health issues and she's just struggling with her trauma and this is her way of taking it out. And I'm like, you, it's, it's so much easier for you to believe. I actually wrote this in Sparks of Phoenix. It is easier for them to believe that something is wrong with you than it is for them to believe that something wrong happened to you. They want to believe that there's something inside of you that is wrong, that's forcing you to behave a certain way, instead of them believing that there were external factors that, in a way, pushed you to either bury yourself or rise out of it and say, I don't care what you think. Yeah. Do you think we live in a time where there are there is more freedom for people to dress as their authentic self, where the judgment is lessening? I think of, you know, I was at the climate strike today marching mm -hmm. and there was such a scope of, you know, guys in pearl necklaces and all like the, the, the gamut of beautiful people dressing in all sorts of beautiful ways. Do you think the, the pendulum is, is pushing that way a little bit? I think in certain places and pockets of the world, yes, but there, there will always be groups that even, even if they might project to the world that they have an accepting message, when it comes to being amongst themselves, they'll be very critical of any kind of difference or change. I remember even when I was covered, because I used to work as a teacher in, in high schools and public schools, I remember uh, people who saw me, you know, as a woman who wore the hijab, they assumed that I had very like strict and, and traditional beliefs that I would say have more to do with the culture than with the religion. And they would make comments in passing in front of me that were either homophobic or um, just, you know, critical of anything that's super different. And I would look at them and say, I don't agree with that. You know, you might think that I do because you're making assumptions about what the way I dress means about me, but that's not how I think. And the face that they're projecting to me is different from what they would project to someone who just passes, you know, as a, as a just a regular person who has no like religious labels on them or so I think it's I think it varies to be honest what would you like people to know about or or how would you like people to respond differently when they see a woman in a hijab or in another form of of dress that is different from what they see in their regular life what would you want them to to know or ask mm -hmm. or be aware of so uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you uh, something that used to happen with me a lot when I first took off my hijab. There were quite a few people who said things like, congratulations, you're free now. And I would respond to them and say, no, like, don't think that you're going to use me as your poster child for 
she got liberated. You know, I said, no, you should have respected me back then just as you respect me now. This is not about that image. It's not about that label. And when I was wearing the hijab, I hated it when people made assumptions about me as well. So I would say when you see someone dressed a certain way that gives you a certain idea, do not make assumptions. Have a conversation with that person. I used to, you know, when I was in schools, students would come up to me all the time and ask me questions and I loved that because I feel the difference between the young generation and the older generation is that the young generation still hasn't molded its beliefs. So they're more likely to be curious and ask questions, whereas someone who's older, like that older man on the bus, he just made an assumption about me, whatever that meant, and said, obviously he assumed that I was oppressed and said, you know, you're in Canada, you don't have to dress like that. And so I would say ask questions before you make assumptions and make sure that you're not you know, like a, a couple weeks ago, I'm going to say this without, without, you know, exposing who this person is, but a couple weeks ago, I was in a place where there was a woman who had beautiful hair and I complimented her and uh, she said to me, well, you know, I don't wear, I don't show my hair publicly. I'm just showing it here. And so she said, I, I wear the hijab when I leave the house. And um, then I said, oh, like that's that's beautiful too. Your hair is still beautiful. And then she goes to me, well, you know, I've I've been wanting to take it off, but I'm very scared of what my parents would say. And so that's when I could have that conversation with her to say, like, how old are you? You're an adult. Like you can make your own decisions. I want to make sure that when I do see that there is a woman out there, whether like she could have told me, you know what, thank you. I really want to cover my hair, but I'm scared of what my parents are going to say. And I still would have told her, you're an adult. You can make your own decisions. My goal is not to tell a woman to cover or uncover. My goal is to tell a woman, do what you want with your body. If you are genuinely afraid, terrified of taking it off because of what your family might do to you, that's not right that's when you're oppressed and it shouldn't exist anywhere not in a in a religious place or in a traditional place or anywhere a woman should have the right to choose what she wants for her body just like the choice of who you want to get married to just like the choice of what school you want to go to why why is it different for women than it is for men you know now, you're clearly someone who loves fashion. Yes. <laughs> in your sequin sleeves. Um, what role does fashion play in your life now? Is it changed covering to uncovering? Do you feel it's the same joy that it's, that it's always been? What do, you, what do you think of when you're getting dressed in the morning? <laughs> well, it's definitely changed in terms of, as I said, the choices that I have that I can pick from because before it was more constricted to whether this would cover all of the places in my body that I needed to cover or not. Whereas now it's more, uh, you know, I, I do remember before when I would see certain dresses or certain items of clothing, I would say, you know, that's very pretty, but I wouldn't even think to myself, I could wear this. And then now I, I can. And um, for me, even as I said, I, when I was covered to wake up in the morning and choose what I wanted to wear, that's always been um, an outlet for me to, to, to feel like I made a choice, you know, and it, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this because I, I recently went back through my pictures and I noticed that I used to wear a lot of blacks 
and you know not a sequin <laughs> I'm wearing black today but I used to wear a lot of blacks and you could see that I was trying to hide it was very obvious um, and in recent years that's changed and it's more like I'm more confident in my body. There was a post I made a few months ago where I said I didn't learn how to love my body until I understood that I have control over it. I have control over what I put on it and I have control over what I take off of it. And it's true because before I, I just I saw my body as something that needed to be hidden that if I showed the curves or I showed that that meant some like I was asking for some kind of attention mm -hmm. and the poem that I'm going to read today actually I think addresses that. So, well, I was just about to invite <laughs> you to do that because I think your your message of no choice made of your own power is too small a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love for you to read your, yeah. your piece of poetry. Absolutely. Thank you. Woman, your body is a weapon of mass destruction. Do you see how it scares them to see you own it? Do you see that fear in the corners of their eyes that you just might do something with it? Do you see that shame in their hearts that they want to spill all over this body of yours? Woman, your existence will always be a threat to someone. Do you see how some think that your hair is a treasure to be hidden, a call for attention, a call for sin? Do you see how some think that your value is defined by the inches of skin that you hide? Do you see how some think that your level of self-respect is defined by the length of your dress? or how loosely or tightly it hugs your body. Woman, your voice will always be too loud for someone. Do you see how some cover their ears when you scream for help, but somehow hear you when you say something that challenges their beliefs? Do you see how some condense you into flesh to shame you, and the moment you dare say or do something, they tell you that you're trying too hard or that you simply crossed the line. Woman, you always were and always will be an object to someone, a sin to someone, a challenge for someone a shame for someone. But woman, I hope that you also know that you always were and always will be a free soul, a beautiful mystery, a kingdom that refuses to be ruled, a light that refuses to be dimmed. Woman, own your power and be the woman you are, not the woman they want you to be. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being here today. <laughs> Najwa, if people would like to follow you and continue to hear your words of inspiration and what you're doing, where can they find you? 
everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, my website's at Zabian. Wonderful. Yeah. And you can follow along with Fashion Talks at Fashion Talks Pod. Uh, you can follow me at This Is Donna B. A big thank you to CAFA, our producing partner. You can learn more about the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards at CAFA Awards. That's at C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S dot C-A. Thank you to Cadillac Fairview and the Toronto Eaton Center. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Nejwa. Thank you. <laughs> and Nejwa and I are going to come around outside, and if anyone wants to ask uh, Nejwa a couple of questions or say hello, um, we're lucky to have her here for a little while longer. So we're going to come out from behind the glass. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. Thank you for having me. <laughs>